1: But being the leader of your life is really learning how to trust yourself, know who you are, have self awareness, and lead the life that you desire instead of the life that you're supposed to.
0: You're listening to Makes Some Noise podcast, episode number 526, with guest Corin Motokaitis. you ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Do you know what I missed? Um, The 10-year anniversary of this podcast. I'm so not great at this, you guys. I wish I was better. Uh, Birthdays, anniversaries, things like this. My 10-year anniversary of being in business came and went. Now it's the 10-year anniversary of the podcast. It's just not one of my strengths to do a big celebration about it. I actually don't think you really care. <laughs> but I just want to, to tell you, we have over 500 episodes, 10 years, over 4 million downloads. It's amazing. So I just want to express my gratitude for those of you who have been with me through the from the beginning. I know that there's some of you listening. You You tell me, you join my classes and are my clients and you have forgiven me for the iterations of microphones and been patient with me as i grow as i grow as an interviewer and a podcaster and a not so great tech person so thank you from the bottom of my heart i love doing this i love having conversations with amazing people and bringing you new information wisdom tools strategies to help you live your most kickass life that was the goal from the beginning And I love to talk. So it checks off some boxes. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I just have two quick announcements before we get into the interview. One is that I am filling up my calendar for fall and winter speaking engagements. If you work at a company that has events, if you own a company that has events, if you put on your own events and you need a keynote speaker who is a professional hype girl, I might be your woman and let's chat or you can go to andreaowen.com/speaking fill out the contact page there we can get on the phone and see if it's a great fit the other thing is is that i have at least one spot for one-on-one clients right now i don't think i have any more than that so if you are looking for some guidance if you are looking for some consulting maybe some coaching i also might be your person You can head on over to andreaowen.com slash coaching. You can check it out on my website, the different services that I offer. You can fill out an application and see if we're a good fit. Let's hop on the phone and check it out. All right, we are talking to someone that I have known for forever, and I'm just now having her on the show. Let me tell you a little bit about her for those who might not know her. Corin Motokitis is a master certified life and leadership coach and host of the popular podcast, how she really does it. The place where inspiration and possibility meet. Corin is passionate about helping leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs create the life they truly desire. Increased confidence, loving and connected relationships, meaningful work, financial freedom, fully enjoying this one precious life we all get to live now. When you partner with Corinne, you've joined the intersection where inspiration and possibility meet so you can create the life you desire by being the leader of your life. So without further ado, here is Corinne.
1: Corinne, thank you so much for being here. Andrea, thank you for having me. This has been a long time coming.
0: Well, (laughs) and you and I were chatting and I want to tell the audience that you have had your podcast since 2006. Yes. Which might be older than some of the people listening to the show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness.
0: Maybe not. But I'm sure some people have like, you know, bras that are (laughs) are a little bit even younger than that, older than that. But I'm excited to have you on because I followed your work for forever. Again, you were one of the very first podcasters out there back before. People really didn't even know what that was. You have been doing this for 16 years and... You've talked to people, I mean, Brene Brown before before Oprah did, before everybody knew who she was, Byron Katie, um, Kristen Neff. With all of the people that you have talked to over the years, do you find like some key themes that people sort of come back to in terms of sort of the quintessential question of like how to live your best life? Or is it sort of all over the place?
1: you know, when I started the show in 2006, the 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 push for me to start it was I was feeling. I was a mom of four kids. Oh, wow. I, it was, I had two bonus kids and two kids that I had birthed. I've been raising kids at that point since like 1993, 1994. So it wasn't like my first time at the rodeo, mm-hmm. but I was struggling. I was on faculty at a community college. I was a head coach of three sports. It was like, I mean, how she really does it is like, I was trying to figure out how to do it. Cause I felt like I was failing and everything was falling apart. Yeah. And so I was looking for, I, I needed a show and I asked somebody to uh, the station director actually to create the show. And she said, why not you? And I'm like, why would I do it? I'm the one that's all screwed up. There was this hunger and desire of bringing on these experts who would then like, kind of like show me the light. And I just thought they were this, it was kind of like chariots of fire. It was like, you were the God given chosen one. Right? Mm-hmm. And, And that's what I thought life was like. And what I realized is it's all learnable. It doesn't matter your background. You can overcome and you can create the life you desire. And it doesn't mean that it's all sunshine and roses. Like I, you know, I, I think sometimes we get in the early years of coaching, I thought, Oh, once I get, once I do all this right, I'll finally get to that magical promised land and there'll be no shit shows. Right, and what I say often is, I live an amazing life, and there are shit shows everywhere. Right, yeah. especially when you have children. And my children, my baby, who is she was what six at the time or five, she's now twenty one. Uh-huh. Right, and so and the parenting is still going, and some days it's way harder than it was when they were little, and some days like I don't see them for a long time or I don't hear from them because they're off at university. Yeah, so. That, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is that whatever your circumstances may have been, there are learnable skill sets that you can do to create the life that you desire. And it doesn't have to be this fancy, only rich people can do. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, it's just for those people. But mm-hmm. like, what is the life that you desire with your values, with your priorities, right? And that's what's really important.
0: I love that. Well, and, you know, d- just acknowledging that there are some people that have easier access to resources and and support than others. And what was the last part that you said? I liked that a lot. Like that, just if you focus on your values and your priorities, like that's the
1: key component. That's the key component. And everybody has different income streams and different privileges. Absolutely. Right. And I remember I had Dr. David Hawkins, who's now passed, but mm-hmm. I had him on in the early years and he talked about how He can walk down Fifth Avenue in New York City and not come across a happy person. And he has walked through some really desolate places in Africa where there are people that have genuine happiness. And there are tremendous hardships that people are going to. I'm not trying to discount any of that. Right. But Sometimes I think we think it needs to be some magical thing. Like we need to be, you know, we need to win the lotto. That's kind of right. like the recent, like, mm-hmm. what, three months, mm-hmm. right? With because the billion dollar lotto or whatever. If I just win this lotto, I'll be happy. But we also know that the statistics show that a lot of lotto winners tend to lose all their money right. in a certain amount of Make years. poor choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. I'm curious what, cause I know that one of the themes is around meaningful work and is that, I, I think about people who might be in jobs where, you know, they, they call it like the golden handcuffs where they, they feel like they're getting paid really well, but they, they really don't like it. So do you think that, that meaningful work is possible for, for people?
1: Absolutely. So I feel like I came up with that golden handcuffs a long time ago um, because that I had that job right? Okay. I had this, I was a community college professor. I was tenured for somebody who grew up poor like me to have something that I knew was, I was safe, right? I was tenured at 29. So wow. I knew, yes, I knew that I climbed a, a ladder quickly and very high. I knew I was safe. I knew what my pension was going to be. I had it all figured out. Nice. Except That wasn't the job that I wanted. And I didn't have the skills of how to maneuver through the politics. Like I was really young and naive and I didn't have those skills. So, had I had the tools that I had now, so it was the golden handcuff. I was like, this is the job that everybody wants. There's like 37 of them in the state of California, right? And they only come open every 30 years. So, there's a lot of fear and scarcity around this. Mm-hmm. And, but the reality was that was never my dream, that was what I settled for. And I'm also not a life coach or a leadership coach who thinks like everybody should be a life coach, right? So I work with a lot of clients across all industries and on different continents about what is their why and how do they create the meaningful work in that situation that they want to be in, right? And, and, Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the missing skill sets that I had. And the other honest truth is I didn't really want that. I never wanted that job. I had applied thinking it'd be a great interview experience, right? No. Like, I thought, wow, this will be great. I'll interview. And then I got the job. And I mean, it was a part-time job at first. Uh-huh. And then within two years, they made a full-time position. I finished grad school and I got the job. I mean, it was like getting things that you didn't really want, nor did you plan for. But there was there was something I really did want, that security, that financial security, that was really important.
0: Especially I think when you can see your entire future laid out before you and it's pretty safe. You know, like you said, you you knew what the trajectory looked like, you knew what the pension was gonna be like when you retired. I we all want that crystal ball. Like we all want that psychic reading to tell us like, okay, here's here, here's how it's gonna work out. So it's completely understandable that you that you kept saying yes. What do you what does it mean? Cause you you talk about being the leader of your own life. What is what does that mean?
1: So being of the leader of your own life is about you living your life on your terms, right? And it's about you being who you are meant to be. And we get so much cultural program about who we're supposed to be. So like mm-hmm. when that job came open or, you know, I, I found that job and I interviewed and I don't know if I told anybody except for like the two that I needed letters of rec for. But when the full-time job opened, people were like, how could you not apply? How could you not want it? Yeah. There wasn't, what do you want, Karen? Like there, I wasn't a part of the equation. I wasn't the leader. I was doing what was socially conditioned. Of course you would want it. Even when I left, my mom said to me, but what about your pension? You yeah. know, there was all this fear of like, you, this is how you need to be. So being the leader of your life is you leading the life that you want. Again, going back to your values, your priorities and your constraints, right? Cause we all have our own constraints, our own obstacles. So it's not this. Um, You know, I'm not a big fan in 2009. You may remember like there's all this stuff about leap and the net will appear like I I'm, I'm not I'm really risk adverse. I'm risk adverse. And I used to be the queen of certainty. Right. But I've learned how to let go of that and figure things out. But being the leader of your life is really learning how to trust yourself, know who you are, have self-awareness and lead the life that you desire instead of the life that you're supposed to.
0: Can you give an example? I think that when people hear us talk about that, and by us, I mean, like life coaches, Mm -hmm. people who who work in this industry, when they hear terms like, you know, live your life according to your values, um, move away from social conditioning that told us like what you should have done. And I know that a lot of times people who hire life coaches end up like wanting to become a life coach. And we don't recommend that for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone. (laughs) But can you give an example of, of maybe like a former client that, that did that, that that uh, similar, maybe a similar example to your own where they figured out that they were not living their life according to their own values and they, they walked away with it and changed their life.
1: So I'll talk about it because I think we want those big, sexy career shifts, right? Like, so yeah. I had this one and again, I, I don't think I've never been a coach that thought that people need to go into being a life coach, right? Like how can you figure out where that Venn diagram of what it is that you desire. I've always been a coach, right? Mm-hmm. Before being a life coach, I was a swim coach. The thing I loved was when my, my uh, not my clients, but my athletes came into my office and there were shit shows. That's the stuff I love. The wow. the training, the VO2 max, the threshold, all of that stuff. Like, oh, I didn't really care about that, you know? But the them coming in and then them overcoming and being able to believe in themselves, I really love that. An example I can give you about that's, you know, in the, during the holidays, there's a lot of cultural expectations about what what everybody's supposed to do. Yeah, And so being a leader of your life is getting clear about like, what do you want to do versus, okay, what may my my, my parents want to do? My aging parents want? What may my in-laws want? Right? What may my children want to do? And a lot of times, especially women get through the holidays and they're exasperated, exhausted, and really angry. Right. And so being a leader of their life is going, okay, what do I have capacity for? What, what part, what do I want from this holiday experience? And then they're not the only one because then it's their spouse, their partner, mm-hmm. it's their kids, and then it's their family members. But then how do you make that work? So that would be an example.
0: That's a good example. And I, I wanna like let's kind of unpack that a little bit. And what one of the things that's so fascinating to me is how how our values and maybe it's not that our value, I would love to know what you think about this. Like how, maybe not our values have changed as our generations have, have we've moved through these different generations? But I have found that this is t- totally my opinion. I have no research on this, you know, subject of one. Uh, <laughs> but I can see, so I'm a Gen Xer. I was born 1975. My parents were actually on the younger spectrum of the silent generation. Mm-hmm. And so in their generation, and it was like what you were saying with how people were shocked that you would walk away from a pension, like what your mom said. Like my parents wanted me to, so my sister was, and my sister's 12 years my senior. She was an orthodontist assistant from the time she was 18. And it was a really steady job. You know, they they only worked four days a week. They got six weeks paid vacation. And my mom kind of just assumed like, well, Andrea's going to do that too. And you can work at the same <laughs> practice and was just shocked when I said, I don't, I don't see myself doing that. Like, that's great for my sister, but I, I want no part of that. And, you know, they were of the generation where you, you got a job when you were a young adult and you stayed there for forever. So it's, it's interesting to me that I think that Gen X and millennials are this, this sort of bridge where we've, we've been the ones to raise our hand and be like, uh,
2: (laughs) that doesn't work for me
0: very tentatively at the risk of getting shouted at by our parents and grandparents. I'm curious if that's been your experience with the clients that you work with and like what you're seeing in this newer generation, like, do you find that they are more able to embrace this sort of like becoming the leader of your own life rather than it was harder for our parents and grandparents?
1: Yeah. And I think so, because again, there's been tremendous privilege, right? We didn't yeah. grow up in the depression. They may, you know, my mom is a or world food. wars. Yeah, my mom's yeah. Korean. She she went through, you know, wars, the Korean War. She went through an occupation with Japan. Even though she was quite privileged, you know, she's a war refugee. Even though she was brave to immigrate to America and start her life all over, right? The other part of her, and especially for your child, there's so much vulnerability with have, you know, your children and you want them to be happy and safe. Mm-hmm. And then they go off the rails and walk away from a pension and a steady paycheck for the rest of their life. Now pensions don't even exist. <laughs> Pitches don't exist, and I was doing it at the time of the mortgage banking crisis. Right, so we were in this recession that I decided that I was going to leap like, I'm gonna go do this to a job Mm -hmm. that I could never go back to.
0: you know my children are teenagers now and they're gen z and i think it it just is so normal for them to speak up and and, you know things that that their grandparents would never even fathom i know you i think you've spoken on it a little bit but what do you, you you talk about owning your voice and how how do you help your clients learn to sort of override that voice that tells them? Can we talk about that a lot over here and and just the conditioning that women have is, especially? So how do you teach your clients? To, is there like a process that you take them through to help them learn to kind of own their own voice?
1: Well, one is to look at what's getting in the way of that. So some of yeah. it's, you know, family of origin programming, right? What were the messages that they were either directly told growing up that they were told in cultural programming or what we pick up in the media? Mm-hmm. Right, especially for women, we're supposed to be nice, we're supposed to be pleasant, yeah, um, if you tend to work with me, right like i I am somebody that owns my voice i my voice is out there, so they know that from my podcast or when I'm speaking, or you know if if a client refers me to them, they'll say, "Look, Karen's pretty darn brazen, um, so they they will start to see some examples of that, right, and I think that part is really important is being able to see examples. Of other women who have voices, but it doesn't have to be a power over voice, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be the pissed off, angry voice. Not that I haven't been there, right? Sure. How you can own your voice and say, hey, this is what I want. You know, yes, this, I understand this is what you need and this is what I need. How often do women go silent when a spouse says, this is what I need? And the wife goes, oh, okay, I guess I'm not going to put this forward because they would be uncomfortable.
0: Right. I hear that so much, and I see that so much in my clients, and it's almost as if. And I just want to acknowledge this for people that listening that might feel like they are physically unable to speak the words of either disagreeing with someone or pushing back on a partner who says, "I want it done this way." And I think there's, you know, really so much to be said for healing that that throat chakra. If you want to you know use that kind of language or or just like you were saying like your family of origin, just really where did it come from, and I think that can be so helpful and and also there's there's so many great books out there and articles and resources about exactly the words to say because I think that sometimes is people are like i I can't a, it's so scary to even do, but then when I sort of like muster up the courage to do it, I don't even know what the string of words. <laughs> Are supposed to sound like, you know, because they've maybe never had the example. So I just, there's, you know, definitely books on boundary setting, et cetera, et cetera. I love talking to you about how women, because I think women of a certain age struggle with their friendships with other women. Do you have um any kind of life lessons or wisdom that you can talk to us about about getting the kind, and maybe it's not just from women, but just getting the kind of support that
1: that women need. In, in their life. Yeah. Building support is really important and it's also really vulnerable. So that's the problem is, is that to do meaningful work, we have to be vulnerable to have meaningful connections and relationships. We have to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is not psychologically safe. Right. And and then the last three years have taken a toll on a lot of us, especially women. Right. So, and then we're, you're saying, well, Karen, you, to, to have really great friends, like To be vulnerable, I have to be psychologically unsafe. Like screw it, I'm just going to stay at home and hide away. Except there's this longing for connection, right? So sometimes it's it's when you talk about scripts and thank you for sharing that. That I used to think that was cheating and that was like wrong. And I'm like, no, this is a great way. It's like paint by numbers. Just it helps you get started and you start to figure out does this land for you? Does it not? Right? The same thing about creating relationships and about creating support. It's about being brave enough to reach out to somebody and say hey do you want to go in a cup of coffee without having to be this like oh we're going to now be the sex in the city foursome and we have brunch <laughs> be every sunday afternoon yeah. yes. <laughs> right but taking the small steps to do that and to and to get clear and but before you can even do that because it does take courage you have to fuel yourself right like i was just reading yesterday the new zealand prime minister she's not going to re- run for reelection And she says, to be able to lead, you have to have a full tank and don't have a full tank. And think about how many of us women don't have a full tank right now. And if we want support, well, you have to fill yourself up. Maybe you can't get a full tank, but how can you take care of yourself? Maybe it's talk to yourself kindly. Don't beat yourself up. Maybe it's look at yourself in the morning instead of Uh like, wow, you know, I'm getting bags under my eyes. It's like, wow, look at you. You, you look really great today right? How do you talk to yourself? How do you have those small acts of kindness to then fill yourself up to then be able to go and create that support?
0: I love that. And some, I love all of that. And sometimes it's, it's also, I notice that it really truly does get back down to the basics of like getting enough sleep and drinking enough mm-hmm. water and, and moving my body. And, and, you know, for me, it's like, if I eat too much sugar, then, then I feel it as much as I would love to say that that doesn't matter. <laughs> As I've rounded the corner towards 50 now, my body is like, yeah, that's definitely too much sugar. It will hurt you. Do you have any tools or kind of go-to methodologies that you turn to when you're sort of really in the in the struggle, in the
1: weeds? So, yeah, thanks for asking that. The One of the most important thing is to give ourselves some space, which is really vulnerable to do that, but allowing yourself to feel your feelings and to release them. Recently, I was struggling one day and I noticed that. And I kept trying to like get my work done, get my work done. And it wasn't a client. There weren't clients on the docket, but there was a lot of work to get done. I'm like, I want to get this done because I want to move into the weekend. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, why? It was like, you know, when you're sick Mm -hmm. and you just can't, but you're not, you're like, you're looking at that to do list is kind of the taskmaster. So you're like, no, no, I just want to get this done. And one day, I went, not one day, at one moment, I stopped and I'm like, oh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. And yeah. it just admitting it, owning that story and not staying silent, mm-hmm. owning my truth to myself, right? There was nobody in my office, it was me and myself. And I said, I'm struggling. And then I cried mm-hmm. and I let the tears come. And I've done enough of this emotion work where I know that I can cry and it's not gonna be the rest of the day. I think that's yeah. one of the things that we get afraid of. And then we don't allow ourselves and we stuff it down. And I let myself cry, and it was about seven minutes. And I said, "I'm struggling," and then I just say, "I love you, Corinne, Right? And that's that's one way, right? Just being present with myself and loving myself through that suffering—that's true compassion, you know. That so that's that owning your story and loving yourself. Brene says this is the, is the bravest thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And that was after a pretty good night of sleep. It wasn't that I had bad sleep, right? But I, that's where I was. Journaling can be a really good thing. Um, to do listening to music, I mean that's why high performers and athletes listen to music before they need to go you know into their athletic endeavor, so you know, I'm a former athlete, I'm a former coach that sometimes it's about music, like okay, here is something that I can pick up some energy, right, mm-hmm. but before I do that, i have to I have to acknowledge where I am and release it and then look at okay, what do I need where what support do I need?
0: You mentioned. You know, I've done enough emotion, emotion work on emotions, and and a lot of the things that I hear my listeners and my clients talk about is, I don't know if I am actually feeling my feelings or not. I know I do a lot of things to run away from them and numb them out. So, do you have a gauge on that where you can kind of tell if you're numbing out, or and or maybe second part of the question you know, I know journaling helps and also music too, but what are some other ways that you can really test that someone who's in the beginning of that journey can tap into feeling their feelings?
1: So one of the things that I have is I, we have a fit feelings menu. And so like with my clients, I'll have them have that because being a former athlete in having a mom who um, learned how to live via surviving, right. Mm -hmm. So then brought that survival and that perfectionism, and I remember when I was 11 and it wasn't, it, I'm not trying to badmouth my mom. This was just like how she was figuring out how to do yeah. parenting. And I was mm-hmm. crying. I was 11 and she said, you can cry at my funeral. So I was an athlete and I was, I had a home situation where I wasn't allowed to have feelings. Yeah. And again, this is what, 1983, right? Exactly.
0: Same. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way and, they parented.
1: Yeah. It was just, it was just parenting, like suck it up. You don't need to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I did not know. So one is starting to create an emotional vocabulary. And so when you start to like notice and you may not notice for a while, or maybe you're, you know, replaying maybe what happens. There's, you're not doing it wrong. Like we have to get out of this right or wrong. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it wrong. And then be able to look up what, what could that feeling be? What is, what was I feeling? Right. And we often want to say, oh, you know, we have these stories about feelings, um, in, in really like what's the word, what is the vocabulary, what is the word, and then be able to apply it. And I can tell you, Andrea, when I first was learning feelings and connecting with my body, my arms just felt like either on fire or ants were calling up it. Like all of a sudden really? I was feeling because I had never felt like yeah. as an athlete, you go through a lot of pain. You learn how to cut that mm-hmm. stuff off, right? So I have learned and I'm continuing to learn and increase my emotion vocabulary. And be able to identify. And so now, you know, like as I go through, I'm like, oh, this is what I'm feeling. And so one of the things that I'll say here is, you know, I have a lot of great tools. I have my own support, right? I have my own coach, all of that. And I can struggle Mm -hmm. and I can feel lonely. And it's okay because these are feelings and they're here to give me information. Yeah. Right. So being okay with the discomfort of these feelings that's part of it but it takes a lot of practice
0: that's key is being okay with the discomfort of the feelings and in my experience they never it never lasts as long as I think it's going to I have found Brene Brown's Atlas of the heart book to be so helpful in that regard just being able to put definitions to feelings and it's also beautifully made We'll have a link to that in the show notes for those of you that haven't that haven't read it but also there's this. Feelings. It's like a wheel. And I, my therapist had it in his office, and I've seen it on Society Six because I get a lot of my art from them because they pay their artists, which I love. But I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. And I, it, it's, it's sort of like a target wheel. And it, the, um, in the first layer, it's like happy, sad, you know, angry, like kind of the basics that we all can access, I think, fairly easy. And then it just sort of spreads out from there. And it, the feelings get even more nuanced and more nuanced. I think everyone should have that in their house as poster size.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.
2: If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
0: I don't know why I feel drawn to ask you this question around, around the topic of feelings, and maybe it's because we're you know just kind of post-pandemic here, but what is your relationship to grief? Say more about what you mean by that. It's just been a topic I think that's been talked about over in these parts lately because of the pandemic and sort of this collective grief that we all felt. And I I think that for so many of us, we reserve the word grief and maybe grieving as a verb to only mean that it's the death of something, whether it's something literal or the death of a marriage or a relationship or, or something like that, and I have found that grief is much more nuanced, and that we can grieve, you know, the loss of our life before the pandemic. Even though so many people complain about that life, you know, there are people out there who are like, "No, I would really love to have that back." And parents becoming empty nesters—I know I have people listening who, who, um, who are grieving that, or you know, people who struggle with infertility the depth of their grief is um, I think something that doesn't get talked about enough. So just all of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, that that's interesting. Cause I've thought a lot about um, the last few years have been hard. They've been, mm-hmm. I mean, they've been really, really hard. And um, things I've shared just on my podcast was there were been times that I felt like mm, I felt like, and it wasn't a feeling, but what I the metaphor I used was my life was on fire mm-hmm. all around me. I mean, we made it through, but holy moly. The you aftermath. Know, mm-hmm. the, it, people were interesting. There's been just a lot of hard stuff. Um Leading at this time period has been really interesting. Being a woman leader has been really, really challenging. Um, So I thought a lot about trauma. But when you talk about grief in that sense, my relationship I give space to that suffering, mm-hmm. right? Like I allow it. And there's a difference. Like I used to say, like, um, a good friend of mine who's now passed Lori Foley would say, uh, you know, we don't want to pitch a tent and build a campfire. Right. And, um, and then, and so it's not a, just about like this verbal vomit where you're just like, saying the same thing over and over. And I was, especially when I was at my old job, I would just sit there and complain over and over. I didn't see a way out. I would just talk about the toxicity of it, right? Over and over and over, but I wasn't really engaged. It was kind of like inner Instagram scrolling. Like you're just going through, but nothing's really attaching.
0: What is that? I think that's what people refer
1: to when they say mental masturbation. Yes. 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 Thank you. I forgot about that term. So grief is about just holding that space. And allowing that suffering to come in that I think the big thing that's really key in going back to compassion and Kristen Neff's work is that when you feel compassion or when you're going through something difficult and suffering, we need to make sure that we have love and love for ourselves. right? Then that's something that we're always taught to be kind to other people, to be kind to this person, you know, oh, you need to give so-and-so a hug or a kiss goodbye, not do you feel comfortable to give somebody a hug Mm -hmm. or kiss goodbye? Mm -hmm. But you need to be a nice little girl. That's like, again, the anti not being the leader of your life. When you're a kid, you don't have that agency. Yeah. And parenting is changing now with what's going, you know, there's just parents are being taught differently now than the way you and I may have been brought up. Mm -hmm. So the grief, the relationship with the grief is I'm not afraid of it. I can, I understand that darkness is important, in the loss and whether again it's been the loss of people or the loss of the the freedom about being able to go about and doing things like i'm having a retreat you know come march and um in you know for and again we're in this world where some people are like okay i've moved on covid is over and then there's other people who are like oh no covid's not over and everything in between so it's mm-hmm. it's like it's really blurry you know, compared to like March or April of 2020, when pretty much the whole world was shut down. We were all in yeah. unison. Right. Mm-hmm. So with grief is I allow for that space and I do it without judgment. Not that I, I do it perfectly because I can sure. judge. It's still messy. Right? Yes. It's still messy, but I, I th- I've just learned enough. And I learned this from Todd Caston years ago about, you know, the upside of the downs, the, the downside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's here to give us information. So we don't need to be afraid of these painful emotions. Plus I do so much work in shame and fear, right. As a coach, like I'm comfortable in that.
0: What I think what's maybe important for people to understand is because I was certified in Brene's work in 2014 and in her methodology. And if someone would have told me that I was going to be facilitating shame work, like 10 years ago, I would have laughed so hard and probably peed my pants because of the laughter was so hard, but, um, but here I am, here I am. Be careful what you say you'll never do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I tell people, cause they, people will say like, you make it look so easy or I'm sure it's easy for you at this point. And I, I say, it's, it's not like, I still am deeply uncomfortable with shame. I still feel the same impact of shame as I did before I became, Um, you know, a facilitator of the work of shame resilience. But the difference now is that when it happens, I fairly quickly understand that it will be over. And maybe it's not a conscious thought that happens, but I'm like, okay, I will survive as the great Gloria Kainer tells us. And the gap between um, kind of moving through it is a lot shorter than it used to be. Mm So I used to stay in shame for so long and then participate in behaviors like, you know, like perfectionism and people pleasing or resentment and or fighting shame with shame and firing back at people, which always felt like shit. But now it now that I know that it's happening and I'm able to recognize it, it's it's not invisible to me anymore in the room. It's like, oh, there it is it's right in front of my face. That's the difference. Do you find that it's the same?
1: To, to your point about never, because I'm a Bre- Brene Brown facilitator as well, My growing up, I would hear shame on you. So the yeah. last word in my vocabulary was shame. I ran the hell away from that, right? Sure. I like, wanted nothing to do with it. So the fact that this is like the body of my work that I do with people, because it's a huge obstacle. It's yeah. what gets in the way of us being the leaders of our life. It's shame. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. Who do I think I am? Or I'm too much, Yeah. right? if i speak this people are going to judge me. Yes, i can move through things quicker. I have a i had a client who she went, you know, we went through job transitions and um but she was divorced and um and she was already divorced when she came to me, but after doing some work on jobs and her own body and just her own well-being, she was like i'm ready to go buy my house, buy my, you know, after this divorce and her husband, her ex-husband had always done all the financials. Oh no. Right. And so she went and we, I coached her through, you know, going to finding a home and, um, with a realtor who at that time was very good about like scarcity. There's not enough. There's not enough, which is shame. Right. And I'm like, look, you only need one house. You don't need a hundred. And it's about finding the the one house. You have a place to live. So you have time no matter what the market is. So she found the house. And I remember then going through the whole mortgage and all of that and the banking and getting the paperwork. And she totally qualified and had the resources. She went into a shame storm because the story was who am I to be doing this? This is what oh, her okay. husband did. I thought
0: you were gonna say her husband like drained everything and had them in massive. No, no but he <laughs> which he does happen. One,
1: he was the one that controlled it and she didn't have a voice in their money. Gotcha. Right? Because he was the one that was going to have the voice. And this is what- Which is also common. Yes. And that's another way we don't own our voice, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, she had shame. And and then I remember the next day I was coaching her, she's like, Karen, I had shame because of all of this. It lasted only three hours. In the past, something like this would have lasted three months. Yeah. That is shame resilience, right? Because Brene always said, look, it's not about not feeling shame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's about, you're going to feel it, but then you can, when you can identify it, you can move through it. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you think about COVID going back to like that shelter in place, there was a period of time, like we didn't know what we could do. Right. right. And so we were all staying at home and that's like, okay, we're going to hide away. Now we know how to navigate. I remember at first going out and about and going, okay, I have to have a mask and all of this, right? There was a lot, Mm -hmm. but now we all have our systems in place of how we do stuff. Some people are like, okay, it's over. Some people go, I'm going to wear a mask on a plane, Mm -hmm. you know, or we are aware enough to, you know, look to see like, what are the rules if we're traveling to other countries? Cause now that's opened up. Right. Right. So now that we know that that's an obstacle, we can be aware of it and then figure out, okay, how do we get through that? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of understanding shame is not that it's bad. It just, we understand it. We're feeling this. The world is constantly telling us we're not enough, right? It's in all the marketing, you know, all the television ads, all the television shows. So we're constantly inundated with it. And to know like, okay, this is actually the good news is it means I'm not a psychopath, right? Or a sociopath. <laughs> like that's the best news. Like if you can feel shame, that's a good thing, right? You, yeah. you have some emotions. Clear indicator. <laughs> yeah. So there's good news on it. There is an upside to that.
0: There is good news. Um, I love this conversation so much. I, I do. I know we touched on so many things. We bounced around, but it's been also wise and helpful. And so is there anything that before we close out that you want to circle back to, or that you feel like you just don't want to exit without making sure that you said, or are you complete?
1: Um, yeah. I want to circle back to the Atlas book because I love that. It's a beautiful book. It took me six months to actually write in it. And Brene is very adamant that we do write in these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful book. I The way I have to frame that book, because it's hard and I've had clients go, Karen, and I've um, done some work with some of my clients with that. I reframe it as it's like an encyclopedia. Yeah. Right? Because you want to go back to it, it's a reference that you go back to. If you think you're going to sit down and grasp all that, it is way it's not easy reading. No, it is hard. And it's better uh-huh. to go and bite size. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm doing some work with clients right now on on the meaningful connection bit, and that's just that that's the addendum part of that book. So take that in small nuggets, go back to it, circle back to it. And then the other is Mark Brackett has a great book on emotions. It's permission to feel. And Mm -hmm. he has this whole ruler method. He was on my show. I'll I'll link to him in the show notes. Yeah. So there's ways to learn about emotions. None of us were taught it. You know, hopefully this younger generation that's in schools now, you know, Mm -hmm. Mark's really adamant about getting into the schools, the curriculum, learning more than just the three to five basic emotions, but it's a learnable thing. Just because Mm -hmm. we didn't learn it doesn't mean we can't at any age. I have clients even in their seventies learning this. Yeah.
0: I wholeheartedly agree with that. Thanks for circling back to that. And where do you want people to go to, to find more of your work and all of your offerings? So I know that we have your
1: website will be linked in the show notes, but where else? The website's the best or Instagram. We post some stuff. I, yeah, I'm not so active on Instagram, but there's stuff on the Instagram and the website, and then we have a Sunday newsletter and then podcast stuff. So they can oh they can go to the pod they should go to my podcast.
0: I was gonna say, and they have a lot of catching up to do. They have 15 years of catching up, or more than that. a little bit of a backlog.
1: There's a lot of, there's a lot of information. You can find a lot of stuff. So
0: we'll be busy for a while. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much for your time. I know how valuable it is. And I'm, I'm grateful that you choose to spend it with me and my guests. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I would be so incredibly grateful if you haven't done so already, if you could leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Super easy if you already listen to your shows over there. Um, But if you don't, or maybe you have the app on your phone, but you listen to the show on a different app, if you could leave a review for this show, it matters so much. I wish I could express how much it matters. I also wish that it didn't matter so much, but alas, it does. So if you haven't already, please go review and rate the show. It would mean so much to me. And thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing day.